And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Greetings and welcome back to One True Pod. We are the Big 12 podcast on the Andy Staples Show and Friends podcast feed. Thank you as always for listening. My name is Max Olson and I'm joined today by my dear friends, Jason Kersey and Sancon Jr. And uh, fellas, bowl season is pretty much over. Guess what? I did horrible on picks. Can't wait to talk about that. You Shocker. Guys, you guys, not so horrible. So. Well, you and Sam had the same bowl record. Max, the problem is just that you came in with such a bad record. <laughs> Sam could afford to whiff all of them, though, and yeah. he would be fine. Yeah, that that's correct. But yes. I did not whiff all of them. I still ended up over 500, even though it was not my standard <laughs> quality performance. I'm sorry, so. Sam. I don't mean to re- disrespect you. Yes, I, <laughs> I'm just bitter for fin- about finishing below 500. And, uh, you know, I just was, wasn't my year. Just like LSU, it just it just wasn't my year. A lot of things fell apart for me. Boy, that was a lot of fun last night. Oof. I enjoyed watching the uh, makeshift LSU squad. I don't think I knew very many of those guys around on the field for them. How about but I, how about friend of the pod, Deuce Vaughn? Big game. How about Man. it? Oh, my goodness. Oh. Yeah, fun they, they could not tackle him. Deuce Vaughn, I looked it up this morning uh, with the stats updated. Deuce finished uh, third in the country among running backs in uh, total yards. So... Monster year for Deuce. I think he finished with 21, 22 touchdowns, something like that. Um, shout out to our guy. He, he, what I mean, no, no sophomore slump for him. And I saw Chris Kleiman said he thinks he's the best player in college football. Certainly no debate on this podcast. No, Heisman next season. Calling it right now. Pound for pound. He's a champ. Heisman 2022. 146 yards, three touchdowns uh, on the ground for Deuce, plus a, plus a receiving touchdown. And Skylar Thompson looked good last night, too. He uh, Nice swan song for him. He he went out in a big way with three touchdown passes and looked really, really sharp against LSU. It, it is hard to wrap my head around the idea that we won't get at least one or two more years of Skylar Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> but um, awesome for 24 Skylar. 24-year-old Skylar Thompson. 24-year-old Skylar Thompson. That's right. That's right. You know, but awesome awesome for him. Obviously, he's been through a bunch in terms of injuries. Even, you know, being a guy that, uh, man, his his career started a long time ago. But it was, it was, you're right, Sam. It was cool to see him get to finish that on the right note, get healthy for the bowl game, and, and have a great game against, um, you know, what was left of those. I mean, if, if y'all read Brody's, uh, Brody Miller's story at the start of the week, uh, that that showed you just how dire it was for that roster. I for me, I don't know what it was like for you guys watching that game, but for me, there was definitely a, a creeping sense of like, man, why did they play this game? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, it it was rough. Uh, and not that I want to take away that opportunity from K State to have a great finish to their year and get momentum for for their offseason and all that, but those those that LSU team, like you know, they they fought as hard as they could, but w- between the interim situation and all the players they're missing or injured or you know out or whatever like that was nuts well it was the same thing in the i mean well in the alamo bowl i thought oregon was depleted and they were depleted but not like lsu was (laughs) it's a lot worse for lsu yeah and i i I mean they had a receiver playing quarterback john trey kirkland who by the way shout out to john trey kirkland yep seven for eleven passing with three touchdown passes uh I think it was Jason Starrett yesterday who said that there was only two LSU quarterbacks who have thrown more touchdown passes in a bowl game than John Trey Kirkland. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is impressive. That that so, is that is the way to finish uh, the rest of bowl season. There, a, a, a Tuesday night game randomly scheduled apart from all the other ones. You know, late at night, watching uh, K State just run over a, a, a very depleted. Uh, LSU team, but yeah, it was it was uh, you know a really nice you know kind of ending there for K State. What, what do you guys kind of make of that season now? Now that it's in the books for K State, well, I, I 
I can talk about that in a second, but I was going to add that, you know, they go from one quarterback who it feels like has been in college forever. And next year, they're just going to have another one that feels like he's been in college forever. And Adrian Martinez. That's right. That's that's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. (laughs) That's right. Yeah. I got a lot of, when Adrian Martinez went in the portal, I did get a lot of, uh, of questions from people like, wait, what? He has another year. Really? I know. I I didn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And yeah, you know, sometimes with the way the eligibility freeze worked out, there are some four-year starters in the portal this year. That's just <laughs> that's just how it is. But you're right; it's it's going to be interesting to see what direction they go. And certainly, um, you know, I'm, I am curious: are they going to, you know, go ahead and promote Colin Klein to OC there? I I, I could see, you know, he's he's had the job before. I could, I could see that, um, you know, being there being some momentum towards that. And after what we saw yesterday, don't think that'd be a bad idea. Skylar Thompson certainly had a ringing endorsement for Colin Klein in post game last night. Yeah. Um, as for this Kansas State team, uh, it's funny. Quietly, here we are sitting at the end of the year, and they are the team uh, with the best record in the Big 12, not named Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, or Baylor. Uh, those were all three double-digit win teams, and the next best team in the conference in terms of overall record is Kansas State at 8-5. and five. And I know we sat here back in August and – uh, I, I, you guys, I was no, there was no secret that I, I was a big fan of them. And I thought that K-State would have a good year. It kind of went a little funny because they had the three game winning streak to start. Then they had a three game losing streak then they had a four game winning streak. So it, it's been kind of a little bit of an up and down year. And of course the injury to Skylar Thompson impacted that, you know, middle of the season. But, uh, I, I gotta give Chris Kleiman credit for getting this team on track down the stretch and, uh, finishing, they end up winning five of their last seven games. And, uh, I think they've got some real momentum going into 2022 now. Yeah, and, and when you look at this, uh, I got a, a you know was talking to another uh, national writer yesterday about trying to figure out what this you know the way too early top twenty five looks like, which seems completely pointless to do these days with the way the portal has these rosters so fluid. Not just not totally knowing who who all is going in the draft, but just I mean a lot of these teams we just don't know who's coming back and who isn't. Um, you look at the Big Twelve next year, and when well, we got plenty of time this offseason to break it down, but. Is there a team in the Big 12 you feel like, oh, man, they're really going to, you know, be dominant next year? Like, I, it does seem a little wide open to me as we start this offseason. It seems very wide open to me, uh, 100%. Because Texas, and I'm not saying Oklahoma's going to backslide yeah. really hard or anything no, like that. I'm not no. saying, you know, but, you know, certainly with – we saw how good Baylor and Oklahoma State were. Very veteran teams. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I mean, we I, – I know that we're, we're – I'm already starting this in January – but Texas added a lot of ta- seems to be adding a lot of talent to their roster. How good oh, are they no. going to be next year? What are you doing? Oh, I, no. I I know. I'm just saying you just never know. Um, no, then, Jason, please don't start. And then and I'm not saying they're going to win the conference or anything. I'm just saying they're <laughs> interesting, as they always are. Um, Texpert, are you are you going to allow this? What do you what do you think? Here, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say tell you my off season philosophy on Texas. I will I will admit that because of the way they looked at certain times this year, that yeah, if they were to all of a sudden contend for a spot in the Big 12 championship game, would I be 100% stunned? No. But to me, the offseason hype machine at Texas, the annual offseason hype machine at Texas, we've been there before. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, three, four, five times, shame on me. I'm not. I'm going to have to make them prove it to me mm-hmm. at some point before I buy in on Texas. So, I while I do think there's some potential, I just think there are too many issues on the roster to just up and say. Also, oh by the way, they lost their starting quarterback, Casey Thompson, right. to the portal. Um, I don't think there's any guarantees that Quinn Ewers is that great. We're getting way off track here, but bottom line <laughs> is, is Texas to me has to prove it before I can. I, I just want to say I, I, I wasn't I, to... I wasn't predicting that Texas would win the Big Twelve. I was just saying they're an interesting team going into the offseason oh, because no. it's so wide open. That's all <laughs> this, I was saying. That's all assure, I was saying. Let me assure you, dear listener. You know Texas's back was on in our show notes for the for the day of it things we wanted to talk about. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> but you know it's, they it's are. hard not to. They get, are interesting. It, it's I, hard I, not I to get sucked that. into to that. It, it, it's it's you know well they added a five star QB that'll solve everything you know that that you know they're going to be rolling. I mean it's uh oh boy oh Texas we got we got lots of time this off season to uh, uh, sort of ride that roller coaster of believing in them and not believing in them and all that. So looking forward to that. Um, what what do we want to hit today, guys? Do we want to start with the uh, you know certainly I think the New Year's Six Bowls were. 
uh, pretty pretty damn good statement from the two best teams in the Big 12 this year. Yeah, it, it just put an awesome cap on two really, really good seasons for those two teams. I, I've been so impressed with them. And, um, man, the Big 12 was – the Big 12 was pretty was it was not that bad this year. Let's just say it. The Big 12 was not that bad this year. Two New Year's Six wins. Oklahoma wins the Alamo Bowl. Um, re- really a good bowl showing overall. I I, I uh, sorry I'm rambling now. So somebody step in and stop stop me. <laughs> well, you know I thought I thought you know they're very very different deals. Obviously, I think the Fiesta Bowl to me, you know what was impressive is. Um, you you know you take Jim Knowles out of the equation, you wonder how much that's going to kind of mess up um, what we've seen from Oklahoma State all year long. And no, I mean it was the same thing we saw all season. It's a really resilient team that that plays super hard, and you know didn't didn't mind falling behind in that game. They they were able to take advantage of their opportunities and and come back. And I thought I thought in that case, like what an awesome way for them to finish. Um, and and you know to sort of wipe out. Uh, for Spencer Sanders and, and Jalen Warren and, and the guys that I'm, I'm sure for them, the Big 12 title game is going to be a really bitter memory to, to to wrap it up like that against, you know, the number five team in the country I thought was was really impressive. No, it really was. And I'll tell you, it's 10 years now after they won their last New Year's Six game uh, in the Fiesta Bowl in 2011. Uh, I I got to get I got to give. uh Gundy and, and that staff a lot of credit for for doing what they did because it is like you said it's it's easy to have an emotional letdown uh, after what happened in the Big Twelve championship game but this is a team that I think all of us were fairly lukewarm on in the preseason I think I had them as a maybe seven and five type of team and for them to get into the Big Twelve championship uh, came that close mm-hmm. to to winning it. And, and then to and, win a New Year's Six Bowl. Very nearly would have been a playoff team, I think. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. I mean, that, that whole debate would have been really interesting that Saturday night if they'd, if they'd you know, if they turned the corner on that touchdown and finish it. Yeah, and so, I mean, I, I think it's a testament to not just recruiting, but player development that they've done there uh, and, and retention. I think they've done a really good job overall. I think uh, the coordinator hires have been good consistently from Gundy, so uh, certainly it would be interesting to see, you know, how that moves on uh, going forward. But uh, pokes are, pokes are, I, I was really impressed and it was a fun game to watch that's the other thing is yep. it was just a fun game to watch to see them fall behind come all the way back and, and win in the fashion that they did I, I hats off to the pokes what a great season for them yeah and I thought it was you know man Tay Martin in big games this year was so good <laughs> in that one he he really uh, really was a difference maker and and I think to see Jalen Warren healthy you, you saw what a difference that made too. Um, and you know, kudos to Spencer Sanders, I, a guy that probably has taken a ton of heat for, um, you know, the way that the Big title game goes and, and people just generally kind of not totally trusting him. And, you know, I think him, you, you saw when, when they started playing with some tempo, man, Notre Dame got gassed fast. Yeah, no doubt. And, and that, and that's, uh, that's the thing is, and that used to be Gundy's swan song. I mean, uh, Gundy's staple. Uh, that used to be what he did all yeah. the time. And and like a lot of coaches, he's had to adjust because, you know, you realize you can't go 100 miles an hour all the time, but use it effectively. And, and like you said, Sanders has been up and down, I think, throughout his career, throughout this season. But uh, for him to shepherd them the way he did, man, uh, you got to give him a lot of props. But Tate Martin, like you said, <laughs> I've had fun watching him this year at some of these big games. And, boy, he showed out in the, in that bowl game. So uh, big, big-time player. Hundred percent. Now, Sam, you you didn't get to go to New Orleans, but uh, what what was sort of your big takeaway on watching Baylor? You know, complete its first twelve win season in school history, and um, you know, certainly not having to play Matt Corral factored into kind of how that game played out. But at the same time, I thought um, you know you you saw why Baylor made it as far as they did this year. Yeah, really impressed the way they finished this season. Uh, I mean, I no, none of us had them pegged. To, to go 12 and two to win the big no. 12 to, to win a sugar bowl. And so uh, props to Dave Miranda and, and great job of making the, uh, the staff changes, Jeff Grimes and, and that offensive staff that they retooled, put him in position. They did it against old miss with, you know, I'm not sure how healthy Gary Bohannon was. He certainly didn't look like himself uh, in, in that game, no. at least not the, not the Gary Bohannon we saw all year long. They didn't have Blake Shapin available because Shapin was, nursing shoulder injury, but I thought they did a fantastic job both defensively. Obviously, they knocked out Matt Corral, which uh, that that altered the whole trajectory of that game, and Completely. I think it's a different ball game if Matt Corral's in it. But give Baylor's defense credit, 10 sacks 
They got after the quarterback. They pressured Luke Altmaier when he was in the game. They did a pretty decent job against the run. And uh, offensively, Grimes, I get it in credit, figured it out. When, once they came to peace with the fact that they're not going to be able to throw the ball, it was a lot of Abram Smith, and it was a lot of, hey, let's try some different ways. Let's try some short passes, or let's try some misdirection. The, the Monterey Baldwin jet sweep touchdown – by the way, hello, introduce yourself to the world. Monterey Baldwin in the Sugar Bowl. I don't think anybody knew who you were <laughs> before uh, Saturday night, but uh, but you got to Mo- give Monterey him. just a, just an A plus A plus first name right there. That's right, that's right. By the way, 10, 10 six hundred meter dash guy. So that's why you saw him flying uh, down the field that way. He's a he's a speedster, but uh, like that that one to me was like a great adjustment by Grimes. It's like hey. Can't can't throw the ball. We're having trouble. They're gonna obviously key on Abram Smith because we're feeding them a lot. Let's throw some misdirection in here, and, and you know decisions like that changed a little bit the uh, direction of that game down the stretch. So uh, great season for them, and uh, impressive bowl win. And certainly, I think this roster is going to look different next year because of how many upperclassmen there are on it. And, and certainly, some guys will move on. Some guys already have said they will move on. Abram Smith is is going to the draft, but. Uh, Terrell Bernard probably won't be back, but uh, I don't think he's got any eligibility left. So, <laughs> uh, so it's going to look like a different team. But man, what a, what a way to bounce back after a rough first year for Dave Miranda. And I think Baylor future, <laughs> even with some of the personnel losses coming in twenty twenty two, is pretty bright. I I was just going to add, I you know there were a lot of great national coach of the year candidates this year: Jim Harbaugh, Luke Fickle. Um, I mean, there, there's a lot of really Mel Tucker. Really, Mel yeah. Tucker, obviously, really strong hands. I'm not sure any of them what any of them did is more impressive than what Dave Aranda did this year. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm biased uh, towards the Big 12 or something, but um, just an unbelievable job of completely transforming his staff, turning that program around, winning the Big 12, winning 11 game or 12 games for the first time in school history. Um, I, I don't know. I think, I think if I'd had a vote in one of those, I, I might have given it to Dave Aranda. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who are actively searching for a new job might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and it's time you join that number. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash CFB23. That's linkedin.com slash CFB and the numbers 2-3 to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Sam, were they, was Baylor fun to watch last year? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just that difference alone, no. you know, certainly because it's a lot of the same players, right? Like, it, it, yeah. which is so fascinating. But that, that was, I mean, 2020 was, was, and there's a lot of factors you can cite there, but 2020 was brutal for Baylor. It, w- it was awful to watch, offensively in particular. I mean, they, they could not get anything going offensively. I mean, look, look at just – the difference in the run game they ran for as a team for 813 yards last year this year they ran for 3076 i mean they Jeez. they almost quadrupled their run game production this year and with yes they added a couple offensive line transfers but like you said for the most part of the personnel uh, on offense was mostly the same i guess except i mean you change quarterbacks but uh, and then you add Abram Smith in the running back room, but but the rest of those guys, Tristan Ebner was part of this offense last year. R.J. Sneed and Tyquan Thornton were part of this offense last mm-hmm. year. Most of those offensive line were part of this offense. So, uh, so like I said, that's why you got to give Grimes, Chancey Stuckey, Justin Johnson, 
Sean Bell, Eric Mateos a lot of credit because I think Mateos, the work he did with that offensive line group, phenomenal. I mean, it's a night and day difference. They couldn't protect last year. They couldn't block up front running the ball. Now, all of a sudden, they're one of the best in the country at running the ball, and, and they did a good job protecting Gary Bohannon throughout the year. Uh, the receivers did well. I mean, like I said, the running game, Abram Smith moving from linebacker back to running back, his original position, uh, he became the perfect fit for Grimes' offense. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, one, the I mean, one of my guy. favorite guys to watch all year. I, mean, I know no, for no you, doubt. too. Run, runs mean. I mean, mm-hmm. runs with intent. And so uh, that that was that was impressive to watch. And Bohannon, I mean, I don't. a lot of us, I think, in the preseason thought, you know, back in offseason, Jacob Zeno would be the guy that won this job. And just based on, you know, what we saw from him back in the Big 12 championship game a couple of years. But Bohannon worked, studied, and, you know, at one point early in the in the year, I think it was halfway through the season, had 11 touchdowns and no interceptions. Uh, you know, so, I mean, he, he, he really and became a valuable leader and then also just a weapon with his legs. You know, he became a really critical move-the-chains guy or a red zone run threat. Grimes and so uh, what what a night and day difference offensively and that was really the difference in this team because the team has been good defensively and I think you know with Iran and Ron Roberts they were always going to be good defensively especially with the talent they had coming back but but to, to the difference in this team going 12 and 2 was what they did offensively yeah 100% you know after the game I threw it out there on Twitter to Baylor fans asking do, do y'all consider this the best season in, in program history and Universally, the answer was yes. You know, there's no, there's really no debate. It's, it's pretty clear that it was, um, and and even heard from some folks who said, you know, it's, a, it's a relief that we can call it this one and and not have to call, uh, you know, call 2014 or a different year, you know, <laughs> the 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 best. Um, and I, it does, it does when you think about where they've been. I, it did make me wonder a little bit, Sam. Like, okay, if you if you've done this with three different coaching regimes in a decade. Um, what is, I mean, that, that clearly tells you that there is a potential at Baylor. And especially when you think about what the new big 12 is going to look like down the road here too, that I don't know, is, is it just that there's an, you know, you're in the right place in the country to be able to recruit at kind of a top 25 level. Is it struggles by, you know, Texas tech and Texas and other programs kind of around you, maybe opening the door a little bit. I, there's clearly, I'm, I'm not trying to take anything away from what they've done, but to do it with three different coaches, I, I, I'm not sure there's another program in the country that can say they've done that in a decade, reached this level of success three different ways, basically. Um, you know, it, 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 to me, it, it speaks to there is a potential at Baylor and an alignment and, and clearly the AD hire that they made was such a game changer. But there's an, there's an alignment there and... Um, you know, I, I don't, they've done the right things pretty consistently here to really maximize what you're capable of doing. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny. Cause we talk and we talked about earlier about this whole Texas thing and, uh, their constant search to be back. Boy, Baylor has been much more consistent over the last decade than they have. And, and even though they've had some struggles in between that, you know, obviously after the Bryles firing, they essentially had to burn the program down and start from scratch. And then, uh, after Matt rule left, you know, Rule brought them back in three years, went from 1-11 and 11 to 11-3 and three in the Big 12 title game, went to the Sugar Bowl. Then Dave Aranda's first year goes haywire, you know, 2-7, and seven, and then now here they are right back, and they win the Big 12. And I think that speaks to kind of the foundation that's at that place now. Uh, they obviously have the facilities. You mentioned the AD, Mac Rhodes, who if, I think if, is If they hadn't been hiring. able to hire Mac Rhodes away from Missouri, who knows where Baylor's at right now? Yeah. They, they may be – kind of trending more near the basement of the Big 12 over this this run cuz it was you hired him at the worst possible time. Yeah, and 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 it was it was a job and same thing with Matt Rule too is is him being able to flip the the football team that way but and and you got to give Matt Groach credit for that hire because he's done a fantastic job hiring guys. I mean Rule and then Aranda and then he's done I think he's done a good job with other sports as well but uh it's it, I, yeah, Mac was a huge part of writing the ship here for them. And uh, like you said, alignment is such a key part. And then when you see what they already had, obviously McLean stadium was already in place and Mac is known as a good fundraiser. They're, they're getting this new football facility team complex of building uh, that'll, that'll start uh, coming in the next couple of years. That's going to be a big piece for it too. You look at their location They're They're in right in central Texas. They're not super far from DFW. They're not super far from East Texas. 
you know, not super far from Houston. They're right in a really prime recruiting area. This is a program that is built, I think, for the long haul in the new Big 12, one that really has potential to be one of the top programs. Like Oklahoma State is going to be one of those in the mix because of their consistency under Gundy. I think Baylor, obviously, is going to be in that mix. You know, we'll be interested to see who else is in that. Uh, but but Baylor, to me, right now, is positioned as well as anybody uh, for for success in the future Big 12 just based on the foundation and the infrastructure they have right now. Yeah, no no doubt. I, I It's fascinating year to watch. Now, Jason – you want to you want to uh, enlighten us with your your story of of Monday night and what was going on as uh, <laughs> as things were changing very rapidly around Oklahoma. It was a it was a crazy day. Um, so the Caleb Williams news wasn't terribly surprising because you know he comes into the uh, Alamo Bowl post uh, post game presser and and didn't declare his intention to stay at OU, which. I thought means at the very least he's going to enter the portal so that he can talk to other teams. And then that's exactly what he did. But, um, but I, I didn't necessarily think that they had Dylan Gabriel queued up and ready to, to go the same day, which is pretty unbelievable. And um, yeah, made, made for an interesting night. Absolutely. Because, um, because now the question is, what does this mean? I, I think it pretty clearly means they don't think Caleb Williams is coming back. Oh, I, I was more trying to tee you up on 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 sharing what, what you were up to on Monday night as the Dylan oh. Gabriel flip was going on. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, okay. Sorry, sorry. My my apologies. No, so um, I I had gotten I'd written something. I'd written a whole thing about Caleb Williams entering the portal, and then I I've been taking a karate class here in in the OKC area for the last few months. It's twice a week for an hour. I figure I can at least go do that because it's sort of a nice release. And uh, yeah, I I was we took a break and I walked over and just looked at my phone just to see if my story had published yet. And uh, Sam and my uh, fine editor Kate Heropolis, I had about five missed calls from her. A <laughs> um, uh, bunch of texts. I think I had a missed call Max from you. Yeah, I was like, what the. F- what? So I almost said a really bad word. <laughs> what the hell is going on is what I was thinking, except I didn't say hell. And yeah. uh, and then I just eventually got caught up and realized, oh, uh, I got to go. So I had to leave, uh, leave the class early. But it, yeah, it's uh, yeah, well, I wasn't expecting that that night, but it, it kind of makes sense. Right. I mean, you kind of have to be ready. They they they. They're not gonna. They can't afford to sit around and wait for Caleb Williams to make a decision, especially when a guy like Dylan Gabriel, who has a prior relationship with Jeff Lebby, uh, who knows him well, knows his system, is right there and available. You kind of got to go for it. And so, uh, yeah. But that's that's what I was doing. I was uh, <laughs> I was punching and kicking at the time. Absolutely. I. You know. You make a great point there. I. I I'm. I'm sure that when you think about installing this offense at Oklahoma, it's probably going to help a ton just to ha- bring a quarterback with you that's done it and, and can help everybody else figure it out. I am, you know, and I, and I thought in the, in the moment uh, from a risk standpoint, it made a lot of sense for Brent Venables and his coaching staff to, you know, they have more information than, than any of us do about, you know, they've had the conversations with Caleb and his family. They have a better sense than anybody of, is he potentially coming back or do we really think that's doubtful? Um, but I am curious what 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 y'all think of that, you know, Sam. When when you think of, okay, you've got Caleb Williams, who you know, as we you know, he's he's the number one player in the portal now, uh, in our rankings. When you've got him, and you can kind of put all your eggs in trying to to, to convince him to stay, um, but you've also got your plan B that you love, and he's about to go sign. Like, what do you think about you know, certainly that kind of crossroads uh, moment there for, for Venables to start off his tenure. Yeah, it's tough, and it's a tough situation to be dealt with as a new coach. This is certainly new ground we're covering here. This is not situations that coaches had to deal with in the past of, hey, I got to hang on to this guy because he's going to transfer because it was so much harder to transfer in the past that you really didn't have to deal with this quite as much. Uh, certainly there were some defections, but uh, you you weren't expecting someone of Caleb Williams' caliber to, to leave. But this is the reality in the situation, and because of the ease of player movement, you can bring in another guy. And I don't fault Oklahoma at all. Bringing Gabriel, I think it's smart because the longer you wait and the more you leave yourself at risk of being without a guy because or without a proven guy, a good quality guy that you trust. And Gabriel's got that relationship with Levy. 
that I think is critical for, for this team moving forward. But if you wait five, six, seven days, uh, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it certainly can be. We, we got classes starting here in a couple of weeks. Some, I guess in some schools will probably start next week. So you've got to get a guy in. So uh, even if Caleb Williams comes back, obviously I think you can figure it out, but you've got to take care of your program and make sure you're in a good situation going forward. Well, so I, I don't blame the way they handled it at all. Well, Sam, UCLA started their winter quarter on Monday. Uh, so it was pretty imperative. If, if they were going to get Dylan Gabriel, it had to be Monday uh, or else he was going to have to enroll in classes. And at that point, as far as I know, that means he's there, right? If he enrolls yep. and goes to class, he's there. Yep. So yeah, UCLA started class on Monday. OU doesn't start class till January 18th for the, the new semester. But um, but yeah, I mean, you can't, you can't wait. And I would also add OU's quarterback room is not in great shape right now. Spencer Rattler is off to South Carolina. Now Caleb Williams is in the portal. The only scholarship quarterback that they have as it stands right now, uh, well, two, they have Micah Bowens, who transferred from Penn State last year but didn't play at all, was not even on the depth chart behind a walk-on freshman. So mm. Micah Bowens is not the answer. And then uh, Nick Evers, the four-star kid from Flower Mound who they just signed, who – I mean, he, he's very talented and he may very well be the future, but is he a guy you want to toss right in as a true freshman and start him from day one? I don't think so. And to be honest, I talked to Nick Evers a few weeks ago. I don't even think that's what he wants. I think he wants a development year. So they don't, they don't, they had to do something. They just had to. Yeah. Now, if, maybe, maybe Caleb Williams will make a decision by the time this podcast was. We have no idea, but. What, what, what do y'all think he'll do? I mean, Jason, do you think that uh, if you had to bet today, you think it's USC or do you think it's the field? What do you think? You know, USC's got an interesting quarterback situation. They signed a couple of pretty highly ranked kids last year. Um, I, I I don't know if he slides in nicely there, although Lincoln Riley certainly I don't think would turn him away. I think it's kind of wide open what he does. Uh, you know, we've seen – uh, I, I heard UCLA uh, popped up in a report the other day, which would be very interesting if um, he ends up playing for USC's rival. That that would be quite quite intriguing. Uh, come come late November, early yeah. December next year. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. But I do think that even though he left the possibility of coming back to OU open, it that just that door seems pretty closed at this point it would it would surprise me if he ended up coming back to Oklahoma you know we also had uh Mario Williams uh one of the better freshman receivers in the country uh put his name in the portal um he's he has indicated he may actually be wanting to just follow Caleb Williams to his next school uh I, I'm you know I'm I'm trying to stay on top of the uh portal every day which is uh is fun but exhausting How, what do you guys think of uh just sort of how this is going these past few weeks here with with so many players. I think we've we've crossed now a thousand scholarship players in the portal since August. Um, I'm enjoying it. I enjoy this this change of the sport, but I, I know it's it's a lot to keep up with. What do you guys think of just how how this sport is continuing to uh, to change really in the off season? I'm enjoying it, like you said. Uh, I, I think a lot of coaches and and sometimes you have some fans that call free agent use free agency as a pejorative in this scenario i think it's great because uh now is it perfect for everyone no but i think that the fact that these players have the freedom is great and to me it keeps a certain interest in the sport going on during a time when maybe you wouldn't have it i guess right now obviously we're still involved because the playoffs going on but we'll we'll be talking there normally i guess is a dead period from post-February signing day to spring ball. Well, now we have this is this going on constantly. We're going to have going into spring ball, after spring ball, into the summer. It's kind of a constant uh, hot stove league, I guess. So yeah, it is, so, yeah. So, so it's interesting, and it provides a different layer to the sport. And it, if you're a coach who takes over a new program, it makes it, uh, I think, a little bit quicker that you can improve the roster if you need to. So – uh, I think it's been interesting. It, it's kind of wild to follow because it's it's so new and everything happened at once. Transfer portal, NIL, uh, one-time transfer rule. All this stuff has happened in such a short amount of time. Uh, realignment on top of all that, which I think changes some fortunes too. Uh, that I, I, I think that it obviously was long overdue, but I've enjoyed watching how this all unfolds and it, it provides a level of drama that 
in some ways reminds me of what we used to see in NBA free agency. Yeah, uh, you know, that's a good times. comparison. You know, it, I feel it, like it's it, you and I, Max. I remember we used to have you know reporters on our uh, push alerts during NBA free agency. <laughs> so uh, I'm sure people are doing that now with college football, uh, having having their uh, favorite reporters on. Uh, the push alerts, or uh, you and I, I'm sure, and, and Jason too, we're putting those players yeah. on push alerts. I'm sure Jason's had Caleb Williams tweets on push alerts for quite some time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Caleb Williams, and and then uh, if you you know if you really want to keep up with it, you, what you do is you uh, put on tweet alerts for um, Hayes uh, Hayes Fawcett. That that's oh, who yeah. you put that's who you put your tweet <laughs> tweet alerts on for. Yeah, I've I've turned into he, he's the I, I, loge of of all this. He is, he is, and I've, I'm I'm finding I'm having to uh, turn on Instagram alerts now too, Sam, because that's just where these kids are. Sometimes that's where they're announcing stuff before they tweet it and all that. It's 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 draining on the phone. I I enjoy it. I'm getting through it, but my phone is not uh, is not handling all this very well. When they start doing this stuff on TikTok, that's when it's time for me to step aside because I still don't get TikTok. <laughs> I know I sound like I turned 35 uh, next week and I and I honestly feel so ancient when I see people using TikTok. So when I, that I'm starts not, happening, I'm in trouble. I'm not. I'm, I'm just not. That That's one. I'm I'm turning 40 later this year. And uh, that's one. I'm just throwing my hands up. I'm not doing it like Instagram be, and Twitter. I'll do uh, TikTok. You can have it. I ain't so, doing someday it. I'm going to open up TikTok and see Jason doing dance videos. And my job will just hit the floor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would pay to see that, my friend. <laughs> nobody wants to see that. No, nobody me. needs that. Nobody needs that. Maybe uh, next year. Maybe next year, if he finishes last in the picks, that should be the punishment. Okay. Maybe all right. Fine. Out. Let's go there. <laughs> Let's go there, Sam. Um, uh, you know, I'll turn it over to you. Why don't you? Why don't you recap how the the picks went for this season? Let me pull up the doc. Uh, let me call. Let me pull this up real quick. You. My computer screen, second computer screen here fell asleep. So let me pull up our topic sheet that says the final pick standings for the 2021 season. And Jason, Max, and I have picked every Big 12 game. And then at one point, we added the new Big 12 schools. We did it during bowl season as well. Uh, added a few extras here and there, mm-hmm. uh, like the playoff games. Uh, final standings. Well, I'll start from the bottom. Max Olson. Last 55, 60, and one. Uh, he went six and five in bowl season. Uh, Jason Kersey finishes second, 57, 58, and one, went eight and three in bowl season. Strong. And I had a little underwhelming bowl season at six and five, but oh, still finished up. way, way in front, 68, 47, and one. I am your champion. That is year, an so. unbelievable record, Sam. Phenomenal. That record. is. That is, and I'm only sad that I didn't actually wager money on my picks. So uh, I should have. That that is an opportunity long missed. But I'm proud of myself for. I think this is the best I've ever done anything like this because I'm usually I'm usually with you guys. I'm usually the guy that's under 500 or right at 500. Uh, I think I've mentioned before. If you go see my SEC picks, they're terrible. But uh, for whatever reason, the Big 12 and the future Big 12, I was on top of them. So you had this conference nailed. So guys, uh, you've known me a long time. Uh, you know, I think you, you probably have a, a solid sense of my strengths and weaknesses. You, we, you know, we've had this bit going for a while, Jason, that one of us is going to have to, you know, quit the profession if we finish last in picks. And, uh, you know, look, I haven't put my my concession speech together, my, my resignation speech together. I got to really process this and think about, you know, really think about my future here. But uh, like I said, you, you know what I'm good and bad at. Any any career advice for me on on what I should do next? Um. Well, don't go to Vegas and gamble. No, that, that, that you don't definitely don't. That's do not that. how I'm going to respond to this setback in my life. No, um, I'm not, not going to do that. Don't do that. Um, it's a little concerning that you guys can't think of anything. I, I, it's really well. Yeah, I. We're, I think I just, we're all we're all in agreement that I mean, really, if I'm if I'm not suited to do this, what am I suited to do? You know. Mm. Max, I I think we're just gonna have to let you stay in the industry. I think that's that's the answer. I don't think I deserve. See, kids, you know, journalism students. This is why you get another major. You know, like I I, I got my journalism degree from Nebraska. It's a good, solid degree. But you know, should I have done computer sciences or something like that just to have a Learn backup plan for Learn when I my picks go so bad that I have to uh, resign in disgrace? Hmm. You, yeah. Um, 
I don't know. Uh, you could you could open up a open up a bar like uh, like the gang on like open up Patty's Pub in in Omaha. There you go. Okay, Sam. So, so, nothing. You, you like got that. nothing for me. Um, I, I I always say teach. Go yeah. teach. You go teach some journalism. That's always my backup plan. If if I ever get run out of this industry, I'm gonna go try to teach the youngins. Just don't uh, teach them how to make picks, and don't and don't teach them <laughs> don't teach them how to get in and out don't of the business. Don't teach a sports gambling class. Okay, that's, that's right. I that's can right. agree to that. Oh <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, great that shame. Would, so I, that would be my. How, be my how did you do it this year, Sam? How how did you pull off this record? Was it just did you do a lot of research, or was it just gut picks every week? I mean, I think it's. Uh, yeah, I think I will say honestly, a lot of it is gut. But I mean, I mean, I feel like we just. I'm. We know these teams, and you know their tendencies, and. You know, it's just uh, the hardest part. The harder part is the spread. You know, I mean, obviously picking them straight up is a little easier, but but doing it with the spread is a challenge. And uh, I don't know. Like I said, I would say it's probably mostly just gut uh, for me, just because based on how these teams have gone. And I mean, I've I've been doing this. You guys have been doing this for a while too. But I feel like you cover a, a group of teams or a conference for a while, you get a good feel on them. You just get a good feel on uh, you know different teams. And I think probably I consume more football this year than I think I ever have because. You know, I was trying to cover an entire state and then also a little bit of the Big 12. So, I, mean, I got to see a lot of different teams throughout this year. So, that helps, too, because you kind of get informed just on uh, how things are going across the across the league and across the country. So, I don't know. I, I, I wish I had a better answer for it. I wish there was some magic answer that I was like, hey, I did this and call my hotline so I can make some money off of you. But <laughs> I, I, I do not have any magic answer. It's just that I, I think I just got some dumb luck this year. Well, next year, we'll have to keep a uh, like a real real spreadsheet here and see how we did team by team. That, that would be interesting to see who we were like, you know, from, from you know, Against spread standpoint, who we were usually right about, and who we we were usually wrong about. I can probably tell you, I was probably awful on West Virginia. Yeah, I couldn't get them right to save my life. <laughs> yeah, there yeah, there were some different. of those teams. I mean, TCU. I'm sure we got a few wrong on them too. Oh, TCU is impossible. This yeah, year. yeah. Ugh. Well, congratulations, Sam. Thank you. Your trophies in the mail, or I don't know something. <laughs> something. Um, we do have one more treat to wrap up this podcast. Uh, we're we're going to bring on uh, our dear friend Justin Williams, who covers Cincinnati Bearcats, to talk about his uh, experience covering the College Football Playoff and the future of that program as it starts, uh, you know, kind of shifting its focus here to joining the Big Twelve. So let's get into our interview with Justin. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Justin, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate you guys having me. Thank you. How was uh, how's the playoff? How'd it go? So a, a lot of time uh, inside my hotel room in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you know, like pretty much days before arrival, they kind of switched up the uh, the interview stuff and made it all virtual Zoom. And for anyone then following, there was the minor um, controversy that no one outside of 
college football media cared about with canceling the 15 minute uh, practice availability. <laughs> so there was like a brief that Monday Cincinnati was like the media darling because they hadn't had time to, to cancel their 15 minute practice viewing availability yet. So uh, got some great insight into uh, punt coverage and, and how limber some of the, the, the Bearcats were um, before, before the CFP just allowed everyone to shut that down. But other than that, uh, it was it was a great experience at the bowl game. I got to hang out with uh, Aaron Suttles, Ari Wasserman, and Chris Vanini uh, a little bit, which which was a blast. And uh, and then things you know very quickly went south for for the Bearcats in the Cotton Bowl. But you know, uh, hard hard to be disappointed in the season that uh, that Cincinnati had, even though Nick Saban was just waiting there to rip their hearts out at the end. <laughs> that is, uh, the man does it for a living. Um, we've got plenty <laughs> to uh, hit on today's pod, uh, but yeah, you want want to start with the the season that was for Cincinnati. Um, certainly, I, I, I don't know, Justin. Now that there's been you know a little bit of time to kind of digest that result, and you know, certainly not the most unexpected outcome of all. Are are people there able to sort of keep, maintain perspective on on how? you know, special and, uh, you know, groundbreaking that year was, or is there, is there some sort of feeling of, you know, when you get to that four and and get crushed, that, that kind of changes how you feel about how it actually went. Yeah. I think in the immediate aftermath of the game, there was, you know, a little disappointment and that's inevitable because I do think, you know, I mean, Cincinnati hung with, with Alabama for a little bit. I think it was 17, six with 10 minutes left in the game. Um, now, you know, the problem was it it never really felt like Cincinnati was, you know, close to like even, you know, closing that gap. Um, so I, I think people understand it's Bama. Um, and then especially the way the second semifinal went with, you know, Georgia and, and Michigan, there was certainly, you know, no shame from, from Cincinnati the way they played Bama. So a little bit of disappointment in the immediate aftermath. But yeah, I think, you know, certainly the, the lead up to that game and then now with a few days um, to kind of look back like, you know, this this team, it's it's the best team in program history, um, certainly made history getting to the, the four-team playoff. And so, you know, for, for all those reasons and, and a lot of the guys involved, Desmond Ritter, Sauce Gardner, you know, some of those guys, it's, it's certainly going to be remembered very fondly even though there were moments in the game where I think fans were like, man, if this went Cincinnati's way, it, it could have been a little bit closer, a little bit different. Um, I think people realize like in the end, taking down that Bama team probably wasn't a, a very likely scenario. So yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. You can go back and read, you know, I went back and looked at the state of the program preview I wrote, which I think was in, you know, I don't June or something like that. And like, I wrote a lot in there that, you know, there was kind of that, not expectation, but a hope of the team making the playoff if everything went right for them. And so if you look at it in that regard, like how often does a team, you know, live up to those kind of ridiculously high, again, not expectations, but just the potential of if things go well, if they beat Notre Dame, if they go undefeated, they can have a shot at the playoff. And this team did that. And and then I actually think, you know, if you go through the season, it was harder to do that than people realize because that first CFP ranking popped up in Cincinnati was six. Then I think people felt like, oh, maybe they are going to actually get, you know, blocked from, from that, um, potential, you know, path again. And because of the way it kind of just broke for them with other teams losing and, and two lost conference champions and things like that, it, it all worked out in the end. And uh, I think as we even get more space from this and, and probably as the playoff changes and stuff like that, it's going to become even more impressive in retrospect what Cincinnati was able to pull off. Justin, I'm curious, what did you think of how Cincinnati tried to attack Alabama because from me from watching from home I came away wondering if maybe they were a little conservative so to speak it, it just didn't seem like they tried to open it up a ton and, and attack and I think I understand why but do you, do you feel like there were some risks that they could have taken that maybe they did not yeah and I think part of that was you know I think Alabama sacked Ritter six times and you know he was kind of when he wasn't getting sacked it felt like he was running for his his life a little bit and I just think he never got comfortable the one thing and you know I wrote about this a lot of people around the program talked about this leading up to the game is I would have liked to have seen Ritter be able to run a little bit more like some you know called called runs you know even a couple more zone reads where he he keeps it I don't think they did that they did it a couple times early in the second half and he was able to, to pick up some yardage but, you know, they just struggled. I think they had five three and outs. There there were so many times they struggled to even get first down. So even if he's running on first down and getting, you know, four yards or five yards or something like that, that's putting them in a lot better position than they were 
you know, for most possessions during that game. So it would have been interesting to see if they would have done that a little bit more, how that might have changed things. They had that first drive of the game, which was their best, you know, the, whatever the script was, that worked because they went right down the field. Um, you know, they, they got kind of in a goal-to-go situation, and they had Alec Pierce, their top receiver, wide open on like a zone read slant to the inside. Alabama was clearly guarding against the fade, which they've run a lot this year. And Ritter had his pass just batted down at the line of scrimmage. And I mean, he could have, you know, underhand chucked it up in the air and like dropped it down into Pierce. He was that wide open. And if that happens at 7 7, and maybe things just feel a little bit different. Um, and there's a couple of those moments in the game where, like, man, if this went Cincinnati's way, it'd be interesting to see how it played out. But after that, they just could not get anything going on offense. Yeah. And credit to Alabama, you know, that they got their hands up on a lot of, I think they knocked down four passes. You know, that was clearly in the game plan for them against against Desmond Ritter um and I I just think that you know maybe Cincinnati in retrospect could have gone back and done some things differently I I just don't know how well it would have worked out and honestly you saw that on defense too I give Cincinnati's defense a lot of credit for the way they they played Bryce Young in the passing game like they did not get beat by Jamison Williams they gave up one deep pass um I think to Brooks um that that you know, scored a touchdown. But other than that, they handled the passing game well, but gives Nick Saban credit. You know, he was like, I'm just going to run the ball against your three-man <laughs> front for seven yards a pop. And, you know, it would have been, you know, funny to see. I, I think Alabama could have won that game without throwing a pass. Yeah. And that just goes to show how how good that that team is. Yeah, no, I think it would have been a winning strategy. And I, I, I think the, the biggest struggle, and I think Luke Fickle talked about it afterward, was the line of scrimmage matchup. And Alabama certainly dominated that. O- on the flip side, even with that, to hold Alabama to 24 points, I think, was an accomplishment. And I was really impressed by the secondary. Obviously, we know about Kobe Bryant and, and Sauce Gardner and, and Arquan Bush. But, man, I was impressed with how they played. I mean, they they were getting physical. Uh, they were mixing it up with with the Alabama receivers. And, and I came away as somebody watching them. Like, I've watched Cincinnati a bit this year, but not, like, solely, you know, closely on a Saturday. It's hard because we're trying to pay attention to a bunch of other games, too. But to be able to sit and watch that game and watch that defense and, and watch those guys in the secondary do their thing. I was really impressed with those guys. Yeah. I mean, secondary is as advertised and, you know, sauce was probably projected as a first round pick heading into that game. He certainly helped his stock. Uh, Kobe Bryant probably made himself some money. Same with Brian cook, the safety. He got the interception right at midfield on kind of an overthrow by Bryce young. There, there's some Cincinnati people that are kind of like, well, maybe even if we just let the corners be more aggressive and like leave Bryant and sauce out on islands and stack the box with seven or eight guys that that would have changed things. But again, it just felt like however Alabama had to beat Cincinnati, they would. And maybe if they got a little more aggressive in the box, then Jamison Williams does break one of those slants for like 80 yards or, you know, they do hit a couple shots over the top. So I understand the Cincinnati fans who watched a team that is really good all year being like, well, let's change something up to, to, to defeat Alabama. I just think, you know, Alabama's really good at how finding the ways that they're going to beat you. And Cincinnati did good to not, you know, basically get beat the way Georgia did, which is like taking shots in the secondary all day. They, they kept the, the passing game at bay. Um, but Bama was just, too good up front. Um, Brian Robinson had over 200 yards. Uh, so, so credit to the Crimson Tide. But yeah, I'm with you. You know, Cincinnati's secondary got a lot of praise all season, and they certainly backed that up in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah, the, the physical difference, and I'm curious what it was like for you to see that live, you know, in person. Uh, you know, Brian Robinson's a guy that went, you know, 17 for 55 against Georgia's defense, and then you're seeing him run people over against Cincinnati. And that's that's not to say that uh, I mean he's a good player, but I think it w- was that interesting when you, especially when you watch how at times Cincinnati could be so dominant against you know the teams on their schedule, and then you go and and you know you certainly got a little bit of a taste of that against Notre Dame to some degree of what what's the physical difference like at that higher level, but. I mean, it, it's Bama, so it's hard to it's hard to say that that like you know suggests your team wasn't physical. It certainly was. It's just Bama. But what was it like seeing that dynamic, like Sam said, up front? But then just I, I feel like in those kind of games, you almost see the difference in strength programs and raw talent and all that stuff a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, the the Notre Dame example is an interesting one because I, I think for the most part, Cincinnati either held their own or, or were the more aggressive. You know. Yeah. Uh, team in that Notre Dame game and it's just it's not that shows you you know Ari wrote about this after the game that even shows you the gap between Notre Dame and and Bama right like it's not necessarily a Cincinnati group of five uh, power five gap it's like Alabama Georgia Ohio State with everyone else gap and you know Cincinnati has this uh, right guard Lorenz Metz who's this huge German like 6'10 300 and 
thirty pounds, like he's a he's a monster. And someone from Cincinnati staff texted me before the game, like during warmups, like they have ten Lorenz Mets uh, on on Alabama's team, just from a size perspective. And then the other one was at some point Alabama's right guard got hurt and went out, and they brought somebody in, and I Suttles was sitting next to me, and I was like, "Who's that?" And he was like, "Oh, it's a five star. He's going to be their starting left tackle next year." <laughs> like that's that was the guy they brought in as the backup. So it's just, I mean, it is. It's it's a gap for Cincinnati um, and and Alabama, but it's a gap for a lot of teams in Alabama. The the amount of talent and size they have uh, in the trenches. It was glaring, and and it's something that Cincinnati's, you know, again, they're not going to necessarily be able to close that gap, but I think it was also a signal to this is an area Cincinnati has to improve, you know, as they move into the Big 12. Um, it's it's not going to be as big with some of those Big 12 teams, but they are going to have to get a little bit bigger and more talented up front for sure. You know, what you're saying kind of reminds me of when Oklahoma played Alabama in the Orange Bowl a couple of years ago, and I was on the field before the game. And the Alabama players walked out, and I said this one of the other beat writers, OU's not winning this game, and that's Oklahoma. So, like, Alabama's that way with everybody, I think. <laughs> it's just there is such a such a gap. Justin, I wanted to ask you just about the future of this program. Obviously, losing a lot of talented guys, losing the offensive coordinator to LSU. This is going to be an offseason of transition coming off the best season in school history. I mean, how do you see this season propelling them forward? Yeah, no, it really is a, a season of transition. And, you know, the big thing is they they hold on to Luke Fickle. So so that's the key. But they're going to lose really every major contributor from a, a skill position standpoint. They have a couple wide receivers who are coming back, but they're losing Desmond Ritter. They're losing Jerome Ford. They're losing their top three or four tacklers on defense. Um, and it, when it all shakes out, it's going to be like at least a dozen starters, maybe a few more that, that they're losing depending on if they get some of those covid super senior guys back um so for them you know for cincinnati these past five years it's always been kind of like an obvious checkpoint and you know they went to the peach bowl won the conference championship in 2020 they come back in 2021 repeat as conference champions make it to the playoff this time next year the goal cannot be like get back to the playoff and and beat alabama that's not reasonable with everything that they're losing so i think what'll be interesting is what is the checkpoint next year you know can they they haven't lost a game at nipper stadium in four years can they keep that home winning streak going can they repeat for a third time as as conference champion can they maybe even like compete to get back to a new year's six bowl as that group of five automatic qualifier you know if they can do some or certainly all of those things in some ways it'll be more impressive than even what they did this year and that's kind of what the way Luke Fickle is looking at it is you know he says this all the time the really good teams reload and they lose players the NFL they lose their starters they lose a lot of assistance and they're right back there again that's what makes Alabama Ohio State you know normally Clemson those teams kind of the top programs Cincinnati isn't at that level but I think you know he's kind of seen all right can we still remain the best team in our conference can we still have an outside shot at one of those New Year's Six Bowls and and that will kind of show how well Cincinnati's actually set up moving forward, maybe even more so than what they're able to do this year with a really experienced, talented team. Justin, as, as we look ahead here a little bit too, I, I, I don't think I'm breaking any news here to say that it seems like uh, things are on track for 2023 in terms of joining the Big 12 with the with the. And I know that's also to be worked out with the AAC. So I am curious as you as you look at this kind of gap year in between here, um, how do you, how do you see them? Working towards that transition already, did, did you see a difference in the quality of class they were able to sign um, here on the early signing period? I, I imagine that what they're looking for in a player probably is going to change a little bit, a little bit in terms of making a switch to a conference. And, you know, as you, as you guys know, I mean, Oklahoma and Texas didn't give notice at, at the end of the year. So I think you're having to operate under the assumption that, that Oklahoma and Texas are, are in that conference in 23. Yeah, I mean, that's Certainly the way they're approaching it, and I think you're right. Everything is kind of moving towards Cincinnati and the other, you know, additions joining in 23. Uh, yeah, I mean, you saw it a little bit in on the recruiting class, um, and I think you're already starting to see it a little bit more in, in the 23 class. But the 22 class that they just had early signing day, um, you know, barring kind of some wild changes with the February signing day, it's going to be the, the highest group of five, you know, class for Cincinnati. I think this is the third out of four years that's happened it should be the highest on average class Cincinnati's had you know in program history kind of and during that stretch they added like a big four-star recruit out of Florida an edge rusher another four-star cornerback out of Alabama so you're seeing kind of maybe some early signs of them going in that direction and you know honestly we saw it 
was some decommits that they had that were not accidents, you know, you know leading up to signing day with, I think, Cincinnati realizing, hey, we're going to have to, you know, maybe some guys who worked for us in the AAC are not going to work for us moving forward. And I think you're going to see that in the transfer portal, too. You know, Luke Fickle's been a little bit, you know, weary of the transfer portal, and, you know, he's used it really well. Jerome Ford's a good example of that, but Cincinnati's always kind of used it as, like, let's fill in a, a gap or two that we have. And I think they understand now, like, all right, if we're ever going to be attractive – you know, it's going to be after we just went to the playoff, we're heading to the Big 12. So I think you're going to see them lean on the transfer portal a little bit more, you know, to fill some of those gaps that they have from this year, but also just to upgrade the talent a little bit uh, heading into the, the 2023 Big 12 season. All right. Thanks to Justin for joining us. Always a pleasure when he can hop on the pod. Uh, thanks, guys, as, as usual, for, for another good episode. And, and thanks to all of you, as always, for listening. We're here every Thursday in the Annie Staples Show and Friends feed. So if you haven't already, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find our stories on The Athletic. And if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you can sign up with our latest promotional offer at theathletic.com slash one true pod. You're going to get comprehensive coverage of this offseason and the Big 12 and the future and so much more. So uh, now is a great time to sign up. We will see you next time. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.